check it out. Welcome to Top of the Class. Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready? Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support. Hello and welcome to College Tips. In today's episode, Crimson Education CEO and podcast co-host Jamie Beaton gives a must-listen crash course for students aiming for investing and finance careers. He shares his favorite resources and extracurriculars for high schoolers, a breakdown of the career pathways, and what to expect in your first few years working in finance. Let's chat with Jamie Beaton. Hey, Jamie, welcome to College Tips. It's awesome to have you on the show. And I don't think we need too much of an introduction because people already know a lot about you as the CEO of Crimson Education and co-host of the Top of the Class podcast. But in terms of your finance background, I think we could give some information about that. So can you tell listeners a little bit about your background in finance investing, which I know is extensive? Yeah, sure, definitely. So I guess this all began in high school when I picked up AS Economics when I was about 17. Up until that point, I never thought about economics, investing, any of these areas. But I really fell in love with the subject because I'd loved math for many years. And when I picked up economics, I realized that actually at the intersection of economics and math, there are all of these quite exciting finance business topics. And there's a real career you can have working as an investor, working on Wall Street, et cetera. So that was kind of the initial piece in high school. And then I headed off to Harvard where I did applied math and economics, which basically is a major that a lot of aspiring Wall Street kids take. So applied math economics generally is, you know, it's it's a more mathematically rigorous economics major at Harvard. And, um, you know, it's, it's very popular for those who want to do things like investment banking. So um, basically, when I got to Harvard, my mission was very much to get into finance. So my first summer, I worked for a hedge fund called Weiss Asset Management, which is a um, leading hedge fund in Boston that does quantitative trading. So using various algorithms to trade the market. And that was a really fantastic experience. And then from there, I got involved in a number of student clubs at Harvard, um, most notably Black Diamond Capital, which basically is an investing club where students invest their own money into the fund. And it's selected based on those who've got some investing experience. Then as a, as a fund, as a team, you make investment decisions. And um, it's a really practical way to kind of uh, build finance experience. It's quite realistic. And then from there, I had the fantastic opportunity to begin working at Tiger Management, which is really one of the world's best hedge funds. Um, and really one of the hedge funds that sort of started the hedge fund industry under the leadership of Julian Robertson. So I worked for Tiger for several years while I was um, at Harvard um, over the summers during term time. And um, that was really the bulk of my finance experience and saw me traveling all around the US, meeting company CEOs to research stocks, to learning how to do short selling, financial modeling, and all the various parts that is required to be a good financial analyst. Following that, um, of course, I've been building Crimson for many years. But as I did my MBA at Stanford, I did take a lot of extra finance classes. And it's an area that I've really kept up to speed on because of the really relevant trends to our students and also, you know, to our investment decisions at Crimson as well. So that's a bit of background on sort of my history of finance, so to speak. As I said, it was extensive and it proves to be extensive (laughs) despite, you know, the fact that you're only in your mid-20s still. Now, in my view, like it seems that finance and consulting and these kind of like, I guess, buzzwords have been thrown around a lot more in high school nowadays. People are like, oh, I want to be a consultant and I want to be you know, someone who works on Wall Street. What are the differences or similarities that those career paths might have? Because I hear them thrown around almost in equal portions. Yeah, sure. So these things are quite different. So let's start with consulting. So when people say consulting, they often mean management consulting. And this often means working at 
firms like McKinsey, Bain, or Boston Consulting Group, that's really the top tier, followed by firms like Oliver Wyman, uh, firms like PwC, you know, EY, et cetera, which do offer some kind of consulting services. But generally speaking, the job of the management consultant is that a big company will usually hire you to advise on an important strategic project. So let's say you're Google and you want to figure out how you get into the social media space. Um, you might hire McKinsey to look at different options for things to buy or potential opportunities for businesses you could create. These projects typically involve teams of about four analysts per project, but you can, of course, hire multiple teams if you want. And generally speaking, the clients will be paying upwards of half a million a week for these teams to work on their, their cases. And as a result, they expect very high caliber people to be assigned to the case. And so the hiring model of firms like McKinsey, Bain, and BCG has historically been to hire the most academic students from various top universities. Um, and they particularly love to hire from many of the Ivy League schools. Um, Harvard was known for a while as McHarvard because McKinsey hired so many people from, from that school. So um, basically, management consulting is really versatile because as a 23, 24-year-old, you get to work on a different pace every six to eight weeks. Yeah. learn about many different industries and get really thorough training and experience because many people that join consulting don't actually have any previous business experience beforehand. So the company has had to really develop detailed training programs. And so it's one of the most effective ways to rapidly upskill your business understanding, strategic thinking, ability to dive into different industries. That's management consulting, kind of solving a real world business problem and making recommendations to these large companies about what they should do with their resources. The second part of the question is, what is Wall Street? What does that actually mean? So Wall Street, although it is a street in New York, broadly refers to the finance sector and all of the firms you can work at you know, in this associated area. And that includes a wide variety. So there's everything from working behind the scenes on a risk desk, figuring out whether a portfolio of stocks is risky or you know, what kind of return profile it has, all the way to the more glamorous jobs where you're um, investing um, and actually making investment decisions where you look at the market, look at different companies, figure out what you should buy, see what a good price is, then try and enter these trades with a view to make a profit. Now, the, the most popular way to enter finance is as an investment banker. And that usually involves working for a firm like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, um, you know, other firms like this, um, Citibank, Credit Suisse are all examples. As an investment banker, you typically are doing um, a couple of jobs. The first is you're trying to help companies IPO or list on a public market. The second is that you are involved in the buying and selling of companies. So let's say you have a company and the company wants to buy another company, you'll hire an investment bank to typically facilitate that transaction. In many ways, you could think about a real estate agent, but definitely with a lot more perhaps math and finance skills and bigger transaction sizes. Now, the other kind of way you can enter the investment banks is as a sales and trading analyst. Um, and in this job, you may help clients execute trades. So let's say you've got a big company and they want to do a foreign exchange trade. You might help them execute that trade. You also occasionally will be trading on the bank's own balance sheet and making investment decisions. But that's getting increasingly rare with some of the new reforms. So overall, you enter the, you know, the investment industry as either an investment banker or a sales and trading analyst. And then for a select few people, um, you can skip that. That's called the sell side, where you're typically selling services or selling stocks, et cetera, to what's known as the buy side. And the buy side is the uh, more high paying area where you're actually making investment decisions. And typically there are three areas of note. One is hedge fund analysts uh, or investment analysts. The next is private equity analysts. And the third is venture capitalists. So just quickly, a hedge fund analyst is investing stocks in publicly traded stocks. So 
investing money in publicly traded stocks like stock exchanges. Venture capitalists are investing in private companies, usually early stage, you know, looking for much higher return, but with a much greater chance of failure. And then finally, there's private equity analysts whose job is to buy quite mature but private companies that are usually growing at slower growth rates. They're trying to cut costs, make them more efficient, and sell them in usually six, 10 years. So that's kind of the summary of the finance side of the house. Um, so so they're, they're overall definitely some of the most exciting career pathways for many of our young, ambitious Crimson students around the world. Yeah, well, thank you for that awesome explanation. I think I've actually learned quite a few things from that, which is awesome. I'm interested in the more investment finance side, so we'll stick with that today. I think a lot of students who do a lot of extracurriculars at school are learning what they want to do after high school in university and career path from those extracurriculars. But I think in terms of like investing or uh, finance, there's not a huge amount of extracurriculars that schools will typically put on for students interested in this pathway. You know, we've seen a couple of fantastic students uh, on the top of the class, like Ariange and Koki, who have done really amazing things in high school or like, I guess, outside of high school in their own time to kind of learn about this finance industry and do it as a really cool extracurricular. But what's your thoughts on how students can learn about finance, learn about investing whilst they're in school? Okay, it's a really good question. So the first thing that I would say is, um, first of all, uh, if you want to be one of the students, as I did at Harvard, where you can break into buy side as a hedge fund analyst in your you know early 20s, rather than typically the path of going for years into an investment bank and then looking to make that you know transition, you have to start learning that content earlier. Mm. And one of the big focus areas of our school, you know, Crimson Global Academy, Crimson Broad Philosophy, is to equip students to compete much earlier on in their careers. So your question is very timely because many high school students um, can get onto this early. So the first thing these students should do is learn A-level economics, A-level psychology, A-level math, or equivalent AP qualifications like AP microeconomics, AP macroeconomics, AP BC calculus, AP psychology. The reason why is math, economics, and then psychology are three of the critical areas of knowledge you need to be a successful investor in the market. And there's not really much point, you know, doing a lot of extracurriculars if you're weak in those areas. So you first of all want to take a deep dive there. You can also add some accounting, which is actually, it's kind of like the language of finance. It's the language of how a company is doing and having accounting knowledge helps you evaluate stocks and other investment opportunities. So um, you definitely want to get familiar with the accounting statements as well if you can. Um, you can learn that through various online courses. For example, um, we have a Learn Stock Investing online course you can take, which we can put in the link. Yep. Or uh, you can also look at things like Coursera's Wharton a Financial Modeling course, which a number of my ambitious Crimson students take at our recommendation. As far as the other extracurriculars, um, once you've kind of achieved that core area of knowledge, you want to move to kind of like some reading activities. So, um, for example, Seth Klarman, a famous billionaire hedge fund investor in Boston, has a book called Margin of Safety. And you can get the PDF online. That's one of the you know, stronger introductions to finance. My old professor at Harvard, Mihir Desai, has a book called, um, I think, The Wisdom of Finance, um, which is a guide to uh, you know, key principles of finance written in a way that's quite understandable. So that's a really, really good read as well. Um, and so you know, that's kind of the reading content. And when you apply for schools like, say, you know, Columbia, you have to state what books you read recently. So that kind of coverage is important. Now, as far as the hard extracurriculars, um, things like the Tiger Global Case Competition, which is the world's largest high school case competition for business uh, analysis, is a really good one to do. Um, there's also uh, areas like stock investing competitions where you get to pitch stocks, and they're growing in popularity around the world. 
You can also run your own in your school community. The next thing is you can create a financial investing club of your school, um, or you can, for example, join the Crimson Global Academy, our online high school, and participate in our investing club. You can also uh, do things like, for example, going to investing conferences, which generally speaking don't have an age limit, um, and you can find them in local areas. You can get internships at local uh, funds or global funds. We also help with this as well through both internships that can be remote or in person. We have sent some interns recently to PwC, for example, to get some finance experience. And then finally, you can look at things like uh, research. So you can get involved with economics professors, help them in different ways um, with local online support programs. And that's a very popular way to build that kind of experience as well. One of our Crimson students, Lucas Lee, who got into Harvard and Princeton with us, and is now working on Wall Street, you know, uh, we spend a lot of time with him kind of walking him through some of the uh, relevant behavioral finance academic research before uh, he applied to schools like Harvard and Princeton um, with that intent to study finance. There are a couple of different things you can think about. There's also some related skills, such as debating, because mm-hmm. when you pitch stocks inside a fund, you've got to be able to convincingly articulate your argument, look at the you know weaknesses in that argument. And so, you know, activities like debating really builds up a lot of those core skills as well which is why top hedge funds like Bridgewater love debaters as an example. There are a couple of you know quick examples that I'd give you. Yeah, well, that's a fantastic thing for students to work on. I think if they were probably hopefully taking down a lot of notes, or you can obviously check the transcript as well, because we'll have this full transcript there. But I'm interested in like, is students investing in things like Bitcoin, Ripple, like a couple of stocks? Is that a good part of the learning process for students to actually put either a bit of their own money forward, or perhaps their parents could loan them a few bucks to actually put money into the market? Is that worth doing when you're 16, 17? So generally speaking, I'm pretty negative on people investing in Bitcoin um, as like or associated cryptocurrencies as the foray into the market. The reason for this is that generally most stocks uh, or stock indexes like the S&P 500, which is the 500 biggest companies in America, they historically have less volatility. Uh, they've got a high what's called a sharp ratio or the ratio of return over risk. And basically to analyze a stock, you've got to understand how the company operates, you know, how demand may change for its products, other kind of factors like competition. So it's quite an intellectual exercise that you can, you know, really study and understand and, you know, build some good skills behind. When you're analyzing Bitcoin and other currencies, it's basically pure gambling, to be honest, around where the price is going to go, because there's no fundamental value attached to Bitcoin or uh, any of these other currencies. And up until recently, they've had very limited actual real world use. So you can't, for example, go buy a coffee with a Bitcoin um, with very few exceptions. And so generally speaking, it's it's really speculative. Um, and typically what happens is when the Bitcoin price rises a lot, there's lots of media articles covering people that have done very well. Um, that makes a lot of people pile into the asset. And then when it drops, lots of people lose money, similar to the recent GameStop hysteria. So this kind of like speculative herd chasing activity is really quite antithetical to you know what strong investing principles usually are. And they don't really teach much about the market. So overall, I'm not a big fan of starting with those assets. I think it's much better to, for example, go and read things like Warren Buffett's investing letters and look at some traditional companies like Coke and understand how you might value a business like that. That's going to be a more useful set of skills in general than if you, you know, sort of speculatively trade cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Okay. That's good advice. I think for students who are aiming for a career in finance, investing, et cetera, it's probably a little bit hard to know exactly what they're getting themselves in for in terms of like the hours, the workload, some of the things that they might be doing day to day. Is there any tips based on your experiences 
in terms of like what students should actually expect from that career path. I think a lot of students are looking at that career path, perhaps because they see dollar signs, right? And they think a couple of those dollar signs might end up in their pockets. But I, I know it's not a walk in the park. But what are some of your experiences, both the good and the bad? So I would definitely say that if you want to earn a lot of money as a young person in the world today, the two most consistent paths to do it would probably be working as a private equity hedge fund analyst in a Wall Street firm or um, working for a big technology company like Facebook or Google, um, where they do pay really competitive salaries. So first of all, on the money side, um, a lot of our Crimson students now, they've gone through Crimson, we've gotten them into Ivy League and other great schools. They've gone on to work for Goldman Sachs, other top firms. And they usually start on salaries of about 110,000 USD up to about 140,000 USD, uh, depending on you know uh, which firm they're working at. Now, these salaries tend to rapidly grow over time. So um, salaries in finance, as you got the totem pole, do grow quite significantly. So it is true that you can make a lot of money in these places. And part of the reason for that is that there's a lot of capital in the world that has to be invested somewhere because many things like countries' pension funds need to get returned. And so it requires lots of people to go put in all the effort to then invest all of this capital in general. And while there's a growing trend of what's called passive investing, where you just invest in broad indexes, you don't choose individual stocks, most major sources of capital like countries' pension funds want to invest in some active strategies, which means strategies where people are making active investment decisions. So overall, that creates big demand for many, many investment analysts. And that's kind of uh, how that piece works. Now, as far as the hours, basically... If you work as a buy side investor, i.e. investing someone's capital, the market's open from usually 9 a.m. to sort of 5 p.m. or so, roughly, you know, uh, in the New York time zone, EST. And so those are the key hours that you're going to be awake for, usually, you know, working. But then, of course, you might come in early. So at Tiger, we used to start at about 7 a.m. And then, um, you know, we'd often stop at about, you know, 6.37, but we could, you know, it could go longer if, if you want. So 12-hour days are relatively common, so about a 60-hour 60 to 70 hour work week is not is pretty standard, I think, on the um, investing side. But you're also really learning a ton. And so it's usually really fun for the people doing this. The part that's really quite taxing, I would say, is the investment banks on the sell side, where you traditionally are putting in, you know, literally 100 hour plus work weeks. And it's not uncommon for interns to have to work 14, 16 consecutive days and to leave the office at 2 a.m. and have to be back at 8 a.m. Um, many, many days in a row. So Investment banking, particularly in the junior rungs, is really a bit of an endurance game. And there's huge attrition rates where very few investment bankers stick around for many years. Many then leave to you know, more favorable working environments. But these places are able to get away with it because they do have really good exit opportunities when you work for them and they pay well and they've got a great brand. But the hours are really brutal and there's sort of no shying away from that. So if, if you're up for that, you know, by all means, but it's very hard to find a the investment bank, especially if you're in those junior years. And there's many, many people willing to kind of compete and put in those hours to sort of land the jobs. That would be kind of the dynamics there. Mm. Um, over in tech, it's you know much more chill working hours. Usually 50 hours a week is pretty standard, 40 hours a week. So that's kind of how it works. Yeah. Okay. Good to hear. Now, one other question that I have is how realistic is it for students outside of the US, so outside of the Ivies, outside of like your top 20 universities in the US, outside of like your Oxbridge, LSEs, et cetera, to land those top jobs at like your Goldman Sachs and your you know Tiger Managements, et cetera? Is it likely for a student, say, from Australia who studies commerce to end up as an intern for Goldman Sachs? Or is that like not the case at all, really? 
I mean, the short answer is it's borderline impossible, um, which is kind of sad, but the way the numbers work is basically when recruiting from, say, New Zealand, um, you know, Goldman Sachs will take two or three people across the country for, uh, you know, their team. Um, and then in Australia, you know, the same thing is true across many of the top schools. They have a bit more of a recruiting cycle because there are larger operations in Australia, but you do need to really have a GPA that's literally you know, almost perfect within your university and be, you know, really prominent on campus, having landed great internships. So this is not the kind of pathway you can go down if you sort of cruise through a commerce degree and then you decide, okay, I want to get the best in banking a shot. The people that make it in this career track are sort of gunning for it from the age of often 17 onwards in a pretty intensive way. So the best way to boost your odds of getting into this field is through getting into a top US or UK college. Programs like Wharton Business School are a very popular place for many of our Crimson alumni. We've trained LSCs, Accounting Finance, Cambridge Economics, many of these schools. Um, but you really want to focus fire in high school and getting into these places if that's a really important career pathway for you. And it's worth knowing that like in finance, there's serious momentum around the brands you work for. Um, so for example, if you leave college and you work for Credit Suisse, um, which is sort of lower ranked than say Goldman Sachs, it's very hard for you to then switch into like a Goldman Sachs firm later on. Um, and it sort of permanently puts you on a certain trajectory. So um, the financial industry is very competitive and they do rely heavily on the signaling power, so to speak, of the person's undergraduate school. You can kind of make up for this a little bit with um, masters and MBA programs and then recruit from those programs. So that's a way to sort of second chance it, so to speak. But, you know, again, you're going to need to have some strong undergraduate grades to land those business school programs. So overall, that's what I would say for the, you know, really the top tier of jobs. However, there are many ways to work in finance. And if you want to just work for like a big four accounting firm, they take a huge proportion of people. So you don't need to necessarily push yourself particularly hard in, in university. Many people from New Zealand and Australia, um, for example, Singapore, et cetera, are able to successfully work for big four accounting firms. But if you do want to push into that sort of upper level of Wall Street, the competition is very fierce because the rewards are also really high as well. So that's kind of how the cookie crumbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, final advice for students who are considering this pathway, perhaps not yet convinced that it's the pathway for them and want to get convinced that it's the pathway for them. You know, they want to look for that, I guess, uh, certainty in their career path, but uh, are uncertain as, as yet as to if finance and investing is for them. What kind of advice would you give for those kind of students? The most important thing is you want to maximize your options. So you want to go ahead and take things like your A-level math, you know, your AP, you know, BC calculus, for example, your A-level further maths. Things like that are going to basically put you in a position where you can actually compete for these options. You want to think about what universities you're aiming for because you're, it's really a stack deck if you get into these top US, UK schools. That's really important to understand and know kind of going into this. And, you know, uh, I guess you probably want to understand where you want to be potentially working in the future as well, which might guide which university you would go to too. The final thing I'd say is that like a lot of the content required for finance, you know, you can learn it probably from the age of like 16 onwards, honestly. Um, and I've seen many really sharp students really front load that knowledge. So don't feel like you just need to kind of passively wait till you get to university to start learning that from the great position to help you kind of build those core skills. So overall, um, it's a very doable career track, but you just need to really commit to it early and go hard. And then, you you know, I see almost everyone that takes it super seriously can land the job, but it's not the kind of thing you can just decide to do when you're 21 and, you know, give it a crack. So you've got to be kind of on that steady path for many years. And you can always switch out of it later on. So you're not committing to a life of finance, but a couple of years is a very popular place to start off your career and has a lot of value later on. 
So overall, finance, definitely a fantastic career trajectory, but you got to start on it early is the key message I, I want people to think about as they leave our podcast today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's completely correct. I remember one of the students who I interviewed for the Tiger Global Case Comp, one of the winners, he was like, through this experience, I know that I want to do business finance, investing, that kind of thing. And it wasn't until he'd had that really in-depth, intensive experience that he was like, yes, this is what I want to do. So I think for students who are out there seeking out those opportunities, I think the uh, TGCC or Tiger Global Case Comp will be happening again later in the year. So watch out for that. And students, if you would like the opportunity to work with someone like Jamie on your application to top universities in the US or indeed the UK, make sure to check out the show notes for a link to a free one-hour consultation with an academic advisor in your area. Jamie, thank you so much for your time, for your insights, for your wisdom on all things finance and investing, and I look forward to sharing the episode far and wide. Thanks, Alex. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes. For show notes and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org.